For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. This is episode 10. Uh, I will be your host, Jake Mastriani. With us as always, we have Alan Carpenter. Hello. And Fred Owens. Hi there. And joining us today, we also have John Magel, like Bagel, he told me. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's jump into just the biggest news that we have. We, we didn't do a podcast last week because there really wasn't much going on. We all got on here and then we decided, you know, <laughs> we really don't have anything to talk about. So, but that's not the case this week. We did have some uh, some big news come out this week with the Cole Hamels injury news. It was reported that he's had some shoulder discomfort while working out before heading to spring training. The Braves are going to shut him down for three weeks, and then he'll be reevaluated at that point. And then later, Mark Bowman of MLB.com reported that uh, it's possible that he may not return until late April. So, Alan, I'll start with you on this. What was uh, your thoughts on the the Hamels injury and as far as his timeline for coming back? Disappointing, obviously. It sounds like he was trying to ramp up his own personal workouts right at the end and and tweaked something. The good news, I guess, is that it didn't happen while he was doing an actual throwing thing. So it's not a pitching shoulder injury like you might be normally used to in that you're throwing something and something hurts that way. In this case, it was working with a medicine ball somehow and he tweaked something that way. So it's, it's maybe, I hope a little bit different from a pitching injury per se. And that at least gives me some reason to think that it's not going to be a chronic thing uh, given to his age and, and such. The one thing that I'm concerned about though, is in terms of the Braves is, their schedule coming into April most of the time you end up with some extra days off when you start the season and that's just not the case for the Braves this year they start out with a west coast road trip six games in a row Arizona and San Diego so immediately you're going to need that fifth starter sometimes you can hide it until like the second week of the season or something the Braves are not going to be able to do that their first off day is going to be April 2nd after that six-day road trip but then they come home and then start playing between home and road 17 games in a row so they definitely are front-loading the the games there in in the warm climates Arizona San Diego they got a trip to Miami before they finally end up in New York that takes them all the way out to April 19th before their next off day on the 20th so Yes, they're going to need a fifth starter. Yes, they're going to need a reliable fifth starter. And Cole Hamels can't be it right now. Yeah, that's what the, one of the first things I went and looked at is the schedule. And I talked about it in the article I wrote today on Felix Hernandez. You know, typically you could get by with four starters in the first couple of weeks because of off days. But the Braves only have two off days in that first month. So uh, they're going to need somebody to to fill that spot. John, this is a guy the Braves signed this offseason to, you know, $18 million, and he's coming off a season in which he was injured and 
you know, he's 36 years old. Uh, is this a little worrisome to you? I don't think they paid him the $18 million to win them games in April. I think you knew that the young guys were going to have spot starts here and there, so might as well use them now. I think you're more looking for him to win you games in October and that, and kind of guide the young guys throughout the season. So I think that's really where the $18 million value lies. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. You know, and I, you know, I've been sitting here arguing, saying, why is it going to take him that long to come back if they come back in three weeks and and say that he's ready? You know, why wait that long? But you make a you make a good point, and, and I know Alan and Fred are kind of on that same page as well. I mean, there there's no reason to rush him back. You want him more for the end of the season than at the beginning. But Fred, I'll, I'll shoot it to you. I know we kind of already talked about it before uh, we started recording. What were your thoughts on on the injury? I'm with John. I mean, I think that you know, the people are overreacting to this. Okay, really, it, this is news because there is no news. He has a sore shoulder to start spring training. Gee, how many pitchers have ever had a sore shoulder to start spring training? I think this happens all the time. A lot of pitchers used to get dead arms in spring training, and nobody even reported it because it wasn't a big deal. I'm not worried about this. This is something we have Kyle Wright, Sean Newcomb, Bryce Wilson sitting there. If we can't get through April with those guys, then uh, we might as well not have those guys. And I think they're going to be fine. I think I expect Wright to stand up, and then all we have to do is piece together Newcomb and Wilson uh, to take that fifth spot until uh, he gets there. I see people, and there's nothing going on. They see something, and they, oh, this is horrible, terrible. No, it's not. It happens all the time. It's something that happens to pitchers in baseball. They get a sore shoulder. It's not a throwing injury, as Alan said. He was lifting a medicine ball, and he strained his shoulder. I haven't picked up a medicine ball since high school, and I don't want to. I'd probably strain a lot more than my shoulder, and I'm not worried about this. I I want Hamels down the stretch. John John made a great point. I want Hamels in August, September, October. That's where I want Hamels to be at his best. If he doesn't pitch until June, I'm happy as long as we get through there with good with uh, good starts from from the from the kids. I I just can't be upset about this. It doesn't ring my bell. Yeah, and I think we forget. You know, we got through last April with bad starts from the kids, right? And they, we still were able to survive that. So, and we um, have a bullpen this year, right? Yeah. But with that, you know, we are going to have to find somebody else in the rotation and, and hope that there are, you know, no more injuries throughout spring training. I, in my opinion, at this point, I think Newcomb is a lock for the fourth spot. And then, like you said, it's going to be Wilson. It's going to be Wright. And Maybe yeah. even King Felix. I, I wrote a, uh, a definite fan article today kind of. Uh, geeking out at the idea of Felix making a comeback now and then maybe this opening up the door. I know it's still a long shot. I mean, the guy has been really, really bad the last two years, but uh, man, would I love to see him kind of rejuvenate himself in a Braves uniform and and maybe give us a couple of good starts. But John, I'll send it back to you on this. What are your thoughts on on who will get those last two spots in the rotation now? Yeah, I mean, I was projecting right to win the fifth spot before Hamels had gone down. So I think it's time for him to kind of step up in a big way. I know he hadn't been in the system like too, too long, but someone who spent years at Vanderbilt has pitched in high leverage games in the SEC and in college. And I think it, I think it's about time. The stuff's clearly there. The fastball is electric. The slider when it's on is a wipeout slider. It's just, can he command the rest of the, the arsenal basically is what it comes down to. 
Yeah, no, I, I certainly think that's what Braves fans are hoping for. Uh, we've all kind of been waiting on Cal Wright to to break out, and this is, you know, this is his chance, if ever. You know, and, and a lot of people forget or, or didn't pay attention to it because he was so bad with the Braves and really wasn't great in the minors in the first half of last year, but he was really good down the stretch um, in the second half in AAA last year. So, you know, hopefully he can kind of carry that over into spring training this year and into the season. You know, I, Alan, I don't know about you, but I, I would love to see Cal Wright finally fulfill that potential and, 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 and make his place in the rotation. He's going to have a chance. There's no doubt about that because Sean Newcomb still has to make sure he can command the ball, and he hasn't been able to do that consistently. I don't know what he's going to, what what the orders of uh, the pecking order is going to be like in in the uh, pitching matchups that uh, are going to happen early on. But I think that's where we'll start seeing our first clues. Uh, we'll we'll see little hints here and there from Brian Snicker, maybe you know, saying so-and-so looks really good out there or something like that. But n- until those innings are signed and, and we'll, we'll get the hints from whoever gets the early innings, uh, usually it's a, a intended rotation guy getting the first couple and then the, a second-tier guy getting the next couple innings. We'll, we'll see how those are, are doled out, and and if there's changes that are afoot, then we'll know it with, with that kind of a, a, a watch of and what happens in the spring games. So, Fred, what are the chances of my guy King Felix getting that fifth spot? I think it's slim and none. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Uh, Felix... Felix has more miles in his arm than pitchers who are four years older than him. He's been in the major leagues a long time, and he didn't adjust when his fastball started to go away. Like, Anibal Sanchez adjusted. You, you see these pitchers that have been around a while, they're smart, they get up there, they see the fastball going away, and they start throwing the cutter, and they start throwing the slider, and maybe, maybe they choke throw a different kind of fastball and Felix kept pumping the same stuff and pumping the same stuff and losing velocity. And he's throwing 88 miles an hour. That's batting practice. It's not got enough movement on to keep it from being hit being hit. Now, maybe he went to drive line or somewhere and got some Trevor Bauer magic this off season. And he's going to, going to go out there and have him a 15, 15 win season. And if he does, I'll salute it. But right now, I don't think he breaks camp with the Braves. So, so who do you have in that, that fifth spot? I I, I think Kyle I think Kyle Wright's the guy. I'm with John here. Kyle Wright's got the stuff. His coach from Vanderbilt. I heard him talking yesterday or the day before. One day said, "Look, Wright's ready to go. Uh, talk to the young man. He's ready. He knows what he's got to do. His stuff is better than Wilson's stuff. His stuff is nearly as good as Newcomb's. And when he's on, he throws strikes. And that's what Newcomb has not done. And I looked at the zips there. I talked about zips project projections this week and. Um, Dan, I can't pronounce Dan's last name. He's your buddy. <laughs> but, but yeah, Zimborski. Dan says that Zips doesn't, it's not that Zips hates Sean Newcomb, but it thinks Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright are better. It sees Anderson being better as well. So the projection systems, they prefer everybody but Newcomb. I'm not saying that, see, we saw what Newcomb could do if he'd throw strikes, but he doesn't, or he hasn't. He does it, and then he quits for games. He goes wild, and you can't do that. In short bursts out of the bullpen, he's been good. Uh, maybe he's fixed that over the winter. I hope he has. I want to see him succeed because the kid's really a nice guy. He's got good stuff, but he doesn't control and command it. And if you don't do that, you're going to end up in the bullpen or his his 
Upside, it makes him a valuable trade piece as a starter for somebody who needs pitching but can't afford to go out pitching. Hello, Pittsburgh. Uh, at places like that. Okay? That's, that's, that's the, he's, a, he's a trade piece for somebody like the Cubs because they're, they're not going to win this year. I'm, I'm sorry. And, <laughs> and their minor league system is, yeah. And so, you know, he's a guy that could go to the Cubs and go to the Mariners, could go to the, uh, to the Giants. He could go to the, the Pirates, places like that that need pitching but can't buy it and don't have anybody in the system. That's where Newcomb's going to end up going if he doesn't throw strikes this, this spring. So outside of those three that we, we've mainly talked about, Wilson, Wright, and, and Felix, and John, I'll go back to you on this one. Do you see anybody else that could surprise in spring training? Um, maybe perhaps one of the younger guys and, and break through into the rotation? Well, real quick, back to Felix Hernandez. Do you think, I mean, he also was in the same organization for the past however many years. Do you think maybe a change of organization might help him kind of change up the arsenal? Maybe kind of teach him a new way of going about his business and maybe finding something new there, you know, a new eyes on him and a new people calling pitches and kind of that sort of thing. Or do you think it is truly just time? I think he's just wore out. I think so too, but he did interview uh, when he came into camp and saying that he was healthy as opposed to not being healthy the last couple of years before that. And he, he thinks that's a difference apparently. And I'm, leaning towards Fred on this one, but I'll, I will give him a little bit of a wait and see on it. He would be an uplift for the, for the kids and especially the uh, young Latin kids. Yeah. Now in terms of, does he have the moxie to change his ways and, and use this new organization? <sighs> Depends if he thinks something's really wrong with what he's been doing. I mean, you got to understand that uh, you, you've got something to fix in order to fix it, really. I uh, don't know that what his mindset is there, and we're going to find out. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you make a great point, John. I mean, it, a change of scenery can't hurt here. Um, you know, <laughs> getting different advice from, from different people. But like Alan says, too, he has to he has to understand and realize, you know, he can't pitch the same way that he has his entire career. He's got to find different ways to, to get to get hitters out, you know, a lot of people were trying to compare it to the, the Anibal Sanchez situation. You know, Anibal was really bad the, the two years before he came over to the Braves, and uh, he kind of reworked uh, his mentality on the mound and, and figured something out. And so people are hoping that's going to happen with Felix, but, you know, that's just it's, – it's too big of a, of a gamble uh, to really know or to say. Um, it's not really a ga- – it's not a gamble at all bringing in Felix, but mm. – you know, trying to make that, that guess or assumption right now is just, that's what we don't know. But I, I hope, I hope he does. Like I said, I'm cheering for the guy. I would love to see him, you know, have a, uh, come have a breaking out party or a bounce back party with the, the Braves and see the Kings court and whatever we're going to call the new park there. Now, uh, I think it would be a lot of, a lot of fun. Zips thinks Tucker Davidson could break out this year. I yeah, think he Tuck- could too. Yeah, Tuck, Tucker yeah. Davidson was the one, I, the name that I was thinking of. You know, I, I think I might have mentioned it on the, the last podcast we did. You know, if I think I think if anybody's going to break through in spring training and and perhaps or possibly grab a rotation spot, I think it's him. He he has the uh, the advantage over Ian Anderson because he's already on the forty man roster, and and really I have to go back and look at the numbers. I think he. I think he did a little better than Anderson when they were both called up to AAA, but that was a very small sample size uh, either way. But 
uh, him being on the 40, man, that makes it a lot easier if he impresses in spring training. I think he could get a shot in the rotation. He led the Southern League in ERA before he got called up, so that's not a small thing. I mean, Jake, you well, and I, I saw him. About, I was talking about when he got called up to AAA. Oh, I'm I sorry. Think, well, I think he only had a couple starts there. Yeah, well, he had a lot more AA, and that's a pitching league, and he still outpitched everybody else, including his own teammates. So yeah, it's, it's not uh, not far-fetched to think he might be able to step up there. One note on, on Shaw Newcomb, Zip's, Zip's comp for him is Luke Walker. I'd have to remember who Luke Walker is. <laughs> You'd have to remember who Luke Luke's, Walker is. Unless yeah. his name's got Sky in front of it or something. <laughs> John, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Are there any other names you could think of that, that might be able to break through in spring training in the starting pitching rotation? Yeah. I mean, my biggest issue with Davidson is just the time spent in AAA, right? I mean, I think he had four games started for AAA, so that would be my thing. I'd be more looking towards Patrick Weigel. Maybe him, but again, I think a lot of the arms just don't have enough time at AAA. It depends on how much weight you put into AAA. Some people like AA more in the competitiveness of it, but yeah, I mean, between those guys, I don't know if you have a, enough innings pitched at the at the AAA level to really have a guy that's kind of shooting up the board or anything like that. Yeah, and in the end, like I said, I think I think we all kind of agree it's going to come down to to Wright or, or Wilson, and we're, we're we're thinking that Wright has the edge, and he should have the edge uh on that spot so i think i'm going to stop uh, fred from doing comps though because luke walker was born in 1943 <laughs> and pitched for the pirates uh from 65 to 73 then one more year with the tigers in 74 i didn't do that that's dan <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of us on, on here are older than others but i don't think any of us go back quite that far <laughs> yeah it's a tad bit before my time yeah, mine too, obviously, even though somebody thought I did Bat Boy for teeny. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's pivot here a little bit and let's go to the Pakoda projections that were uh, released this past week and. As always with projections, you you take them with a, a grain of salt. They're fun to, to talk about and kind of give us a baseline for the season. But I think most Braves fans are going to want to throw these out the window. They got the Braves winning 83 games this year and, and missing out on the playoffs, finishing third in the NL East with the New York Mets taking the division over the Nationals, which was just a complete surprise to me. I don't, I don't care what kind of algorithm you're running. That just seems a bit ridiculous. But I guess if you're not throwing human element into it and you don't know the history uh, of the Mets the past five or six years here, then maybe I could understand you projecting them for that many wins. But Fred, I'll go to you because I know you wrote a great article about this that we posted on Thursday, kind of breaking down the Bakota. Uh, projections and how they work and comparing them to Dan Zimborski's uh, Zips projections as well. Okay, so look, let's get something out of the way. Pakoda does not project a winner. It does not. That's not what it's saying. It's not what it's doing. They say it clearly in the post, the same as Dan says it clearly in his Zips post. This is not a projection of a winner. What you're seeing is the midpoint of possible outcomes they ran a thousand different simulations on Pakoda. Dan just says, I ran a few hundred on mine, which is probably close to a thousand this time of year. That's about it. When they start the season, they run a hundred thousand sims on this. 
on some pretty big iron to get this down to a to an art. But what they're saying is if everybody performs at their average performance, okay, how many people in the world are actually average? Nobody. These This is the average, you know, you're going to have people who are above that and people who are below that. And if you look at teams that have won over the years, they weren't a team of average players uh, with doing their average thing. They were a team that had three or four guys playing well above their head and maybe one or two playing just below it. They had some pitchers pitching above what they were supposed to do, have break, having breakout years. Winning teams have breakout years. Losing teams don't. 10% of the people are going to have years that are just out of this world and 10% of them are going to fall off a cliff. What they're showing you in that, in that little bell curve that they put out there is that you know there's a swing of like six and a half games each way from the midpoint of that where, where most of the, most of the uh, people will fall in there. If you get four or five people up on the high end of that, that uh, six-game spread, then you're talking about 92, 93 wins. 94 wins. And it, you know it, all of it, a zip, Dakota is pretty heavy on pitching. And they don't like anybody after Hamels and Soroka very much. On the other hand, when you look at Zips, Zips really likes Freed. It really likes Soroka. It thinks Faulty's going to be fine. It thinks Hamels is going to be fine. And it put, it expects Kyle Wright to come up and, and take that fifth spot or maybe Wilson to come up and take the fifth spot. And it thinks they're going to do better. It also projects the hitters in a more optimistic front because of the way that research is run and what the algorithm runs. And so, again, Dan says this isn't, I'm not saying that on this day he's going to have, go three for four with a, with a double. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that over the year he's going to be, if he plays at average, based on his history, this is what it'll be. But nobody's average. So just look at that group and say this is a spread. It's like a bell curve that they graded you on in school. Uh, these people up here are A's, and these people over here are F's, and the people are your B's, C's, and D's. We need people who are in the A's and B's to win. Every team does. When you got a bunch of kids that are expected to contribute who are young, they don't have the track record to really fall back on in terms of the statistics. So you're kind of going to get penalized a lot for that kind of thing. That'll tend to suppress guys like Albies and Acuna and, and such. So... Uh, Zips, I, I, is, uh, Zips has, I've, I've got how many thousand players in it, and Pakoda, I think my list of Pakoda here goes down to something like 6,000 players. That is comping out everybody to? It's got, it, it, yeah, the, the, the Pakoda, uh, I don't know how far back Pakoda goes, but Zips goes back to the live ball era in 1920. Well, for instance, and I it think. Has we, minor league, it takes minor league play into account since 1960. Well, for instance, we were talking when we talked to Dan, or when Jake talked to Dan, that Acuna was looking a little bit weak in terms of his projected F four. Did you and read? Did you read what Dan said about Acuna and and Elby's? That they have a lot of upside there, and 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 should be better than that. What he said is Albies and Acuna are out, still abs- absurdly young, and the question is whether they'll play worse than two thousand and nineteen. But if they can freeze their their talent at what it is right now, they can walk into Cooperstown together. <laughs> yeah, true. But that's not showing up in the Zips projections right now, and that I suspected strongly that that's what's happening in Pakota as well. Zips is projecting Aussie at five point three WAR. 
Is that what he said when we did that podcast? I didn't think it was nearly that high. Zips is projecting Ozzy at 5.3, Ronnie at 5.1, Freddie at 4.6. Okay, um, that came out higher. Okay, well, that came out higher than, than what we were talking about a uh, couple of weeks ago then. Yeah, I mean, it's Zips likes those young guys. Uh, he even thinks, I mean, he's got Camargo at like one and a half. Uh, and Riley at nearly two. He thinks Camargo and Riley will come together and do, be okay. He was okay. worried about Lazips came out with uh, with Marquecas and left, um, but I plugged Ozuna in there. He doesn't. Ozuna's about a two war, two win player under Zips. Pakota likes Ozuna better, but Pakota doesn't like our pitching after, like I said, after uh, Hamels. Uh, Zips does. Zips Zips likes the pitchers. Uh, Soroka's a four-win pitcher. Freed's a three-win pitcher. Hamels is a two-and-a-half or 2.2. 2. Uh, Mike's 2.0. Uh, so those are pretty good. That's pretty good numbers. Yeah, you're going to get different variations on the different methodologies. That's that's the real point here is that uh, you have to know the background exactly of what they're they're doing to come up with these numbers. And normally, we just don't have that kind of detail. Did you say that Fulte was more like last year's projection? Or he was projected more like last year or projected more like 2018? He's projected as a two. He's he's projected as a two-win pitcher with a with a four four two four two five ERA and 145 strikeouts, and 156 innings. That's what Zip says. I'll have to look over here on the other one. Uh, uh, actually, um, <laughs> Pakota likes him better. Pakota says he's 419 um, ERA with uh, 9.5 Ks per nine. Uh, 141 strikeouts. Uh, uh, I don't see the innings up, and 140, 134 innings. Huh. That sounds a little light. Well, yeah. I'm so, just, what, I mean, what, what's your take on that? Cause to me, he, I feel like he's going to outperform that. I do too. But the way, the way the projection works is it takes 18 and 19 and and 17 and jams jams them together. So he had that up and down 17, and he had that bad first half in 19. If he'd had 19 like 18, then he'd be up with he'd be a three-win pitcher uh, like Freed. But I see what you yep. mean when it's, when you're talking about the averages. That is because we're looking at the past three years where the kind of projections are based. Yeah, like you would just take the average ERA of the past three years, which is kind of seems kind of like a, trying to use the past to project the future seems kind of odd. You know, because well, I feel like guys are consistently improving and kind of getting back, and you're kind of well, ignoring that's why some, I, I think Zips takes more puts more weight on the most previous numbers. Um, if I remember Dan telling me that correctly. Yeah, Zips, it, it, Zips weights the closest numbers heavier than the, what, those in the past. So 19's weighted heavier than 18, heavier than 17 and such. Right. I think Athlon Sports has the Braves projected to win 94 games in the division. Yeah, and most sites that I have seen have the Braves winning the division. And, uh, again, projections are, are fun to talk about and look at before the season. You know, we, we know – more than anyone that they mean nothing nobody picked the braves to win the past two seasons so i'm kind of okay if nobody wants to to pick them to win this this season either but i think if we're being i think we're being honest or or maybe i don't know maybe you have a different opinion but to me on paper and of course the game's not played on paper i think the braves have the best team in the east going into the season and John, I guess I'll ask you: Do you do you feel the same way about the Braves compared to the East, at least on paper? Yeah, I mean they seem the most complete team on paper, and also the other two teams. I'll believe it when I see it, like with the Mets and with the Phillies. You know, everyone every year you hear, "Oh, this is the Mets' year; their pitching can just stay healthy." But every year they're missing the playoffs, and same thing with the Phillies. They're like, "Oh, they spent a bunch of money, and now it's going to pay off." And then 
you look up and it's like, oh, they're way back. I think, if anything, the biggest threat would be the Nationals. If you have Juan Soto taking even more steps forward, Victor Robles, and then the three-headed monster that's their pitching staff, I think that's really where you worry. But, um, yeah, I mean, their bullpen still has question marks. So I think the Braves, you look forward, you know, innings one through nine in terms of production. I think that they, they have the most complete team out of the out of the pennant. And I would even project Miami to be uh, more of a sleeper, and I think they'll be significantly better the next year. Yeah, no, definitely uh, Miami will, will be a tougher team to play. And, and I agree with your stance on kind of the other teams uh, other than I'm not really that worried about the Nationals. And, and Fred, I like, think you've said the same thing on here before as well. I, I look for the Nationals to have a, a big hangover. I, I think losing Rendon is going to be huge for them. And I just have the feeling, and I obviously don't wish this on anybody, but I, I think their pitchers are going to have some fatigue. David Martinez did a great job in the playoffs, and I'll give him all the credit in the world, but he worked his horses to death to win that World Series, and it paid off. He won a World Series. Uh, I'd do it over and over again if I were him, but I, I just feel like that's going to have a lingering effect on this season. We saw Max Scherzer struggling with injuries you know, last year, even in the World Series itself, you, you know, and I feel like that's going to creep back up. Uh, we know Strasburg's had some some injury history of his own. So I'm not as concerned about the Nationals. And I'm like you with the uh, Mets and Phillies. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, so, Fred, I'll go to you. How do you feel about the Braves, how they stack up in the NL East? I think they're better better than either of the projection system says. I I, I would just the, – the bookies come out, and the bookies have a lot of a lot of people churning numbers here, and the bookies expect Braves to win 90, 91 games and nobody else to win more than 89. Uh, Mets 85 and uh, uh, I think the Phillies at 83 or 84. So, and that's sort of the spread there. The East is going to be harder this year because the Mets are better. The Phillies are better, but the Phillies rotation isn't strong. The nationals, like you said, there's always a hangover for pitchers who go deep in the postseason, and their bullpen, you know, is okay, but it's not great. Uh, and the Mets, they're betting on uh, the projection systems are betting on Diaz being 2017-2018 uh, Diaz. And they're betting on uh, Marcus Stroman coming back. But projection system all, uh, Prakota says Stroman's going to have a down year. Really, they've got DeGrom and Syndergaard. And, you know, I love Syndergaard, but what's he done? Okay. I mean, I like to watch him pitch. But I always watch him, and he seems to get beat when I watch. Maybe I should watch him all the time. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but you know, the pitcher on that team, the best pitcher on that team is Jacob DeGrom. And as DeGrom goes, so go the Mets. Whatever else happens down that line, if DeGrom's good, the Mets are going to be hard to beat, but they're going to be beatable because I'm not sure where, who, where anybody's going to hit anymore. And then the Phillies, their rotation, I'm not sure that they're, they're going to uh, catch the ball any better in the middle of the field. The rotation's not good after the first couple of guys. Will Arietta pitch or will his arm fall off? I'm not sure. The Marlins, they're going to be better. They might win 68, 70 games. So, you know, you're not going to run away with the division unless, unless something, somebody trips over it like they did. And, you know, if, if, the, if the Nationals had played the first two months of the season like they played from May forward, we'd have been in second place because they were really good, but they rode those, like uh, Jake said, you, 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 they rode Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin hard, which is what you're supposed to do, but they're going to be tired because they didn't finish until the end of the year. And then, 
you know, it hasn't been that long ago. So, you know, I think the Braves going to win 93 and under four games, and that's going to be enough to win the division by three or four games over probably in that. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is in the distance. Alan, you agree? I do. And I'm looking, you know, I had to answer some questions for a guy at Cardinals Codclave uh, a couple of days ago and went through it all as well. And I have very good confidence that the Braves are going to do this. And part of it's because of looking around and seeing what improvements may or may not have been done elsewhere and the upside that the Braves have. I mean, they, the Braves are loaded with talent that still hasn't hit their peak yet. The rest of the teams, like the Nationals, when signed every veteran infielder they could find, and they're not going to be any better than they have been. They could only play nine at a time anyway. So, I mean, they are definitely weaker at third base. They're definitely weaker at second base, probably. Their kids, Soto and, and Robles, are maybe their upside, but that's about it. Uh, first base is going to be about the same, just older. So I, I don't see any improvement out of Washington. I see a bit, little bit of a decline. With the Mets, I, they lost Wheeler. I don't know that their replacements for him are going to be any better than that. They're counting on Diaz and Batanzas to be something great. I don't know that that's going to happen. If it is, then yeah, they'll be a little better. Maybe three or four games better, which gets them into the mix for the wild card. Yeah, the Phillies got Didi Gregorius. They'll have uh, Andrew McCutcheon back. That's a big help to them. But other than that, they did not improve the rotation aside from Wheeler, and I don't know that uh, he's enough. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't see any improvement in Philadelphia, really, I don't, although they're going to hit the ball. There's no doubt about that. We, the question is whether they're going to be able to stop anybody else from hitting the ball. The Mets will be able to stop others from hitting the ball, they, but I don't know if they're going to hit the ball. And, and the Nationals are, are weaker. So I, I think with that, all that together and the Braves' upside – we're in good shape there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll do uh, more of our in-season projections later in spring training, but I think we're all kind of on the same page and, and I know it's a bias being a Braves podcast, but uh, I, I do feel like at least on paper right now, the Braves are the more complete team, you know, and despite what the Pakota projections say, you know, I, I think most people would agree with that uh, assumption right now. So, finish talking about some rule changes because we had some some rule changes come up this week that we've known about uh, but now they've kind of become official so i'm gonna run through those uh real quick uh the first one is the the three batter minimum this is probably the the biggest one uh to talk about the fact that uh, relievers will have to face um, at least three batters when they come in unless uh, the end of the inning comes first so you know, basically taking away the the left-handed specialist or right-handed specialist, however you have it, uh, to come in for one batter. You know, those that's going away now. You're going to have to uh, reliever comes in. They're going to have to face uh, at least three batters, like I said, unless the the end of the inning comes first. Uh, and then we had some roster limits. The active roster is being increased to 26 players with a maximum of 13 pitchers. Uh, and then one I was really glad to see, uh, I know Bobby Cox was, was arguing for this back in the day, is limited September rosters. I've always found it quite ridiculous that we get into September 
and all of a sudden you have the rosters expand to to 40 players and it just it drags on these games and uh meaningful games late in september uh but they're limiting the rosters in september to 28 players now which is still uh, a pretty good bit but that plus the fact that you won't be able to bring in a reliever specialist you know that should limit some of those long innings in september also they now have the two-way player designation the Shohei Otani rule, really not much impact there. Uh, injured list, uh, I think it's the only other one worth, really worth mentioning here is pitchers will, can go on the, the IL, the injured list for 15 days now, and position players will still have uh, the 10-day uh, IL under the new rules. Additionally, I'm reading this straight from the press release now, additionally, pitchers who are optioned to the minor leagues now have to remain there for 15 days rather than 10. The option period for position players is still 10 days. Another one is the challenge time. Managers now only have 20 seconds to decide a challenge play instead of 30. I think that's good because I think 30 is always turned into 45 in a minute sometimes. So maybe 20 seconds will turn into 30 or 40 seconds. Uh, it seems like they always give the managers more time than they're supposed to. So hopefully that'll speed that up a little bit. But uh, John, I'll go to you first. What are your your thoughts on some of these rule changes? Uh, do you like them? Do you disagree with with any of them? Yeah, I mean, I like them. The one with the challenge, I mean, 10 seconds is 10 seconds, but it kind of gets annoying when they're just standing on the bag waiting for it for, for kind of way too long. The two-way pleasure player designation, like you said, kind of just only results in Choi Atani and I guess Brendan McKay, is he still playing the field or is he, is he moved to just pitching? The guy from yeah. the Rays. Yeah, I think he's he's mainly moving to just pitching now, but there are some other two-way players that are coming up, so it, it could become more of a factor, but but yeah, I mean, it's not a huge deal. Yeah, and then I agree with you on the 40-man roster thing. That thing was always just kind of nuts, and especially combining that with being able to Pitch bit, uh, pitchers for just one batter, you could just run through an insane amount of pitchers in one game and just eat time. Because, I mean, that's essentially what the the kind of the three batter thing is, just trying to limit time, get the time of games and things of that nature. Yeah, Fred, do you have any issues with any of these rule changes? No, I, you know, uh, about so, well, let's see, when did I write this? Uh, six years ago, when, <laughs> re- when Replay came out, I wrote a post called Replay Quick and Dirty. And uh, it said, why do we have challenges? There ought to be, a, in every ballpark, there ought to be a replay room with a replay official and one person from each team in a locked door. And every time there's a play up there that might be questioned, those guys ought to look at it right away and tell the umpires in the air, yes or no. This whole idea of, oh, well, I got to look and see if my guy is going to win on this. And then uh, that means somebody's going to do it. Uh, instead of the, um, you know, they should put an eye in the sky, supervise. This is uh, a guy named Michalowicz who wrote for, wrote for MLB.com uh, at the time. said, why are we doing the challenges? Craig Calcutta chimed in on it, said, I put an, a fifth umpire in the booth. Everybody, everybody wanted that, and I'm glad they liked my idea. But, 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 but MLB didn't, and the reason they didn't is it would mean hiring about 18 more umpires at 300,000 a year and they didn't want to do that. So they do it in New York with rotating umpires and maybe they hired three or four, maybe they use rotational guys, but the reason it's the way it is, is uh, MLB is cheap on things like this and throws money at stupid things. Uh, but the, the replay rule, I wish they would just take away the challenges entirely. Uh, the three batter rule, 
I wanted two batters six years ago. I'll take three. I, I don't see anything wrong with any of this. I like the rules that way. Uh, and I think they that's this is about right so far. You can just right. have the guy uh, hit a trash can if the play is wrong. The guy <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a guy in the trash can, and he bangs it if it's a bad play, right. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or we just get the buzzers going. That's a lot more. That's a lot easier to do. That's a lot more high-tech. Yeah, yeah let's put a buzzer in the umpire's back pocket. Yeah. And then the manager can push that every time he thinks there needs to be a replay. 10,000 volts. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Angel that. Hernandez gets to wear it every game. <laughs> That'll put some more excitement into the game there. But, Alan, you got any any qualms with any of these rules? I, I think what we're going to see with the, th- the three-batter minimum and the pitcher's uh, IL stints going back to 15 days is – it, it almost forces managers to manage their bullpens better. I think that it kind of harkens back to the way bullpens were working 20, 25 years ago when there really wasn't much of a Luji or a Ruji kind of guy. There was relievers that would come out typically for one or maybe two or three innings at a time. And that was the norm. There was no specialization at that point. The era of the relievers was was coming into vogue, sure, but it hadn't developed to that kind of silliness that we're seeing in, in September's where you, you have one batter. Okay. Let me, is he a righty? All right, let me get a lefty out there. Next batter. Is he lefty? Okay. Let me get a righty out there. That kind of nonsense is, is what's developed. And this is what they're trying to stomp out. I like it for that reason. I do think that some guys are going to lose their jobs unless they learn how to pitch better, frankly. And, that may ultimately be a good thing, but it's going to be a survival of the fittest deal where you're going to have to come out there and, and get guys out from both sides of the plate. I think that as a result, that's what the Braves were looking for in their bullpen, as well as the fact they needed guys who could shut down the opposition. But uh, I believe that Atlanta is very well positioned to take advantage of this rule. What you're also going to see, though, is is matchups on the pinch hitter side becoming more important. If a guy is out there who's known to have trouble with right-handed batters, then you're going to get a right-handed pinch hitter up there more often. And I I do think that you're going to see some teams try to take advantage of that and and hopefully have some deep-ish benches that can take advantage. So, yeah. Yeah, so it could inadvertently, you know, bring some more offense to the game as well, which, you know, could be a, an added bonus depending on your view of that. But uh, I like what your your thoughts there on, you know, them having to, to go back to the way the bullpen used to be used because nothing bothers me more than when a manager brings in a relief pitcher and he, he dominates a batter or two and then he takes them out of the game just because of a matchup. I saw it with Newcomb a lot last year. Newcomb would come in and he would – He'd get a, a batter or two out, the inning would be over, and then that would just be it, even if his spot didn't come up in the order. And that's always bothered me. Why not, if you got a guy pitching that good, why take a chance on an unknown coming out of the bullpen when you know a guy is feeling it that day? So hopefully that does kind of change the strategy a bit in the bullpen, and, and maybe managers will be, you know, will let relievers ride a little bit more if they are, you know, on their game when they come in, because that, that's always kind of kind of bothered me to take a pitcher out when you know he's throwing the ball well but yeah i like the the rule changes as well i don't think there's there's anything crazy here you know obviously the three three batter minimum is going to be the big one that people are going to talk about because it does kind of 
changed the the strategy of, of the game a good bit from what we're used to. But I bet Tony LaRusso had a heart attack when that went through. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> gonna bring his name up earlier. This is uh this is definitely hurting the heart of, of Tony LaRusso. You know, who, in, 19, who in 1976, Raleigh Fingers made 70 relief appearances and pitched 134 and two thirds <laughs> innings. There you go. You got to be yeah, out there, and, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm okay uh, with that. I want to see more of that. Actually, you know, I want to see more bullpen guys that come in and can go multiple innings, and I, I hope that's kind of the way it's going. Yeah, it's it's the way. It's, I mean, if you can't get two batters out, what are you doing? Why are you there? That left-hander that used to pitch for the Cardinals come in and throw one pitch, and you never see him again. He made like, he had like ten innings in in twenty-five appearances, or something. I, I you know, those guys shouldn't be in the major leagues. They're taking they're taking money away from good pitchers. They're taking games away from good pitchers. The union ought to have been against that, but of course the money runs the union, not the kids, and that's why the union does what it does. I think one thing to monitor too is just late in the year, do guys start to fatigue and are guys starting to get hurt? You know, with the 40 man roster, you do have the benefit of letting a guy rest more. And with the 10 days being able to uh, option people and things of that nature, you can kind of shift guys around to where you kind of can give guys some extra days off and things of that nature. So I think one thing maybe to monitor going forward is towards the end of the year, do guys start to kind of lose gas and maybe even in the playoffs? Yeah, that gets to the bullpen management thing is that they're not going to be able to to do the Gwinnett shuttle, shuttle like they had been for the Braves or the, the Dodgers apparently are the, the some of the worst about it, trying to just keep guys going on a 10-day schedule uh, to AAA and, and back. You get, if you got 15 days, you got to think about it a lot more. Yeah, it's definitely going to change the way managers, you know, work their pitchers and, and use their bullpen. So, and I think that's a good thing. I think it adds strategy to the game. So I'm excited to, to see the real changes in how they, they work out. I don't think any of these are, are greatly going to, to affect the game in any way, but there definitely will be some, some new strategy that will have to be implemented. But we are in the midst of spring training now, and uh, next week we'll actually have spring training games getting underway. Uh, not before our, our next podcast, but uh, soon there, thereafter we'll actually have some uh, Braves hitting the field and, and playing some games. So we're excited for that. Uh, to be taking place and can't wait to actually see the team on the field and, and uh, see them all playing together. Uh, already starting to see a lot of the videos of guys back and uh, just throwing the ball and, and hitting the ball in the cage. And that's always uh, great to see those videos and pitchers this time of year. I uh, get excited about the season. And uh, for me, college baseball season starts this weekend. So I'm, I'm pumped up for that as well. Probably get to a game or two this weekend. So Baseball is back. It's in uh, full swing. Uh, we'll be uh, bringing you a podcast here every every week throughout the season. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to the Tomahawk Take uh, podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure you check out uh, TomahawkTake.com. I'm putting up articles daily, getting you ready for the season. Right now we're doing a player preview uh, every day of the month of February. So make sure that you go out there and, and read up on those and check those out. Uh, like I said, make sure you uh, subscribe to the Tomahawk Take podcast. Tell your friends about it, and we'll talk to you again next week. This 2020 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC. Opinions expressed on the show today are strictly those of the participants. All rights reserved. 
Music used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 and features selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Pilot Error, Opportunity Walks, Glitter Blast, and Amazing Plan. His works are featured at filmmusic.io and via his own website at incompetech.com. Thanks for listening, and realize that we at Tomahawk Take are always outperforming our projections. Of course, that's not real hard to do either. <laughs>